theguardian.co.uk. This podcast is produced in association with Guinness, official beer of the RBS Six Nations. Welcome to our last Guardian Six Nations podcast for 2011. I'm Robert Kitson, the Guardian's rugby union correspondent. Well, we made it, some of us in better shape than others. England won the title. They didn't play like champions against uh, Ireland, did they? France saw off Wales and Scotland beat Italy. What are the chances of a European team lifting the World Cup this autumn? With me in the studio today, I'm delighted to welcome the former Wales and Lions flanker, John Taylor, who's now running London Welsh, amongst other things. We'll be reviewing the tournament with me, along with a couple of top Guardian operatives, Steve Busfield and Evan Fanning. Hello, guys. Hi, yeah. Hi there. I'll come to you all in a moment. We also have another leading guru waiting to talk to us on the phone, the former England captain, Martin Corrie. Martin, are you there? Yeah, thanks very much for enlightening me a guru, but I am here, yes. <laughs> Always a guru. I, I, before we start, I gather c- congratulations are in order. Am I right in saying you captained a, a winning England team in Dublin on, on the weekend? Yeah, we had, we came away from Dublin with a little bit of a morsel of success. Yeah, we played, uh, played at Donnybrook on Friday night. and uh, That's a veterans, yeah, isn't it? it was, yeah, well and truly veteran status, yes. And, uh, but we hard fought win, but we got it nonetheless. Yeah, a bit bit sore this morning, a little bit sore. Yeah, it's um, just a question of whether it's the head or the or the body which is the sorest. But it's uh, I certainly the face looks like it's been in the game again, which uh, the, the wife hasn't seen for a few years. <laughs> Ireland totally outplayed England in the big one, though, didn't they? Was it simply a case of the English youngsters being shocked by the Irish intensity, or are there any urgent tactical issues for Martin Johnson to address? Well, I don't think there are tactical issues. I think the flirt happy combination just won't work. Uh, I think we saw in the, in the Scotland game that uh, when the opposition slowed England's ball down, that they didn't have an answer, and, and Flood, who's encouraged to stand flat, if he wants to get the ball wide when there's a packed defensive midfield, then he has to hurl it himself wide because he can't rely on the centres to get it wide. So we saw sometimes where the balls were just being thrown over the top like balloons bouncing along the floor. And, you know, that just, just looks like it's a completely disorganised team. No, it makes, so it, think, yeah, it makes England a, an easy side to defend against, doesn't it, if you know no, that... Massively. And so I think we need to have somebody who's got, who's got good distribution skills at, at 12. And if it's not fluty, then they've got to start looking elsewhere. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, Jono says that England just have to learn from, from that sort of battering and, and clearly teams do learn a lot from their defeats, don't they? Is, is there enough time to do that in a World Cup year? World Cups always come, come around too quickly. And, uh, and so probably not in terms of, you know, if it does feel on a couple of things, you have to go back to the drawing board, then there's not time to make them an experienced international if they're getting them in the cold. Or if it's going to be somebody like Wilkinson going to 12, you know, there's not enough time for, for that to, to really take effect. I think the rest of it, the rest of the team's pretty much there. Banahan, I think, shows, you know, he can act as, a, as an impact player, but he's not there as a, as a starter at, at 13. Sure. The rest of them, you know, you've got to still look at can't be a knee-jerk reaction. The rest of it is, uh, you know, is a really good side and he's, and he's developing a really good squad. He's just fine-tuning a couple of areas. Yeah, no. Just stay on the line a, a moment, Martin. I've got John Taylor here, as I say. I mean, we, f- we shouldn't forget, John, how well Ireland played. How much do they impress you? Well, they actually 
Moore failed to impress me for the rest of the season. I, I thought Ireland should have been playing at that sort of level all season. They were terrific. And uh, I think uh, Darcy had a very flaky start to the championship, and that probably affected them uh, a little bit. But what they've discovered this year, terrific back row. You know, O'Brien coming in, I think people thought he might be a bit suspect in his first championship, was absolutely terrific. We know... The other boys can really do it. Wallace is is giving everything. They're, they're a good side uh, in the making. I'm I'm interested in what Martin's saying. Um, I mean, how good's this young Tuolangi? Because I think Johnson, I agree with you entirely, Martin. I think he's going to have to gamble, and I don't think that centre combination is going to work. So where do you, where does he go? Does he gamble on the youngster or what? Well, I'll straight back to you, Martin. I don't know. We, we've we've seen a bit of him. He's better going forward than perhaps defensively. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, well, I, I think that's exactly it. And, and if you look, but Banahan got a little bit exploited defensively. I think 13 is not the issue. It's it's 12, and you can't go around making wholesale changes. Looking at all the other players, I'd like to see Wilkinson given a go there yep. because he has played there before. I know in the past it's been Wilkinson at 10, Flood at 12. I'd like to see that reversed. You haven't got time to make wholesale changes or to to make people. Uh, inexperienced experience. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, I mean it, it's magnified, isn't it? When you play against somebody like Brian O'Driscoll, he's, he's such a competitor, isn't he, and such a class act? You know, I just felt with Sexton, they just looked from the start to be, to have a, a plan to attack. They had a clean plan, and I think that was that was a difference. We've got a very happy Irishman in the studio here, uh, Evan. <laughs> uh, Brian Moore said during the commentary, didn't he, that Ireland had played to their full potential for the first time in the tournament. I mean, can they take that into the World Cup when they face Australia? They've got it in the World Cup pool stages, haven't they? Well, yeah, I mean, it remains to be seen. If I was a gambling man, and sometimes I'd like to think of myself as one, I would probably say no. But uh, <laughs> Ireland were pretty consistent. Inconsistencies what's been levelled at them a lot throughout this tournament, but actually they were pretty consistently average throughout it up until... Uh, Saturday, but Saturday was a real boost, um, a really great performance full of aggression and intensity and, and real purpose in everything they did. If they had lost, it was a huge game, because if they had lost, they would, the questions would be being asked, like in England now, about wholesale changes. Is there a time to, is there a time to do this? Who should go where? What should happen? But the win just changes yeah. the whole mood around, around look, the team. Didn't look many issues there at all, did no. there? I, I mean, Martin, just finally a couple of things. I mean, it was a funny little ceremony handing over the trophy in a hotel on Saturday night, wasn't it? It wasn't really the grand manner. It's one of those, you know, I've been in that situation before where you've, won, you've lost out on the Grand Slam right at the last and you've still won the Six Nations, you know. It's, it's almost that you're not really... That's uh, the consolation prize. But Jono's target was uh, to finish in in the top two, so, you know, they must be able to take that, but it's still, but again, when you go into a game where you win it and you get the grand slam, then be given a trophy after you've just lost a game, uh, <laughs> it, it hurts a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I just, on, just on weird trophy ceremonies, I've got Steve Busfield here in the, in the studio, I, I can't remember that one, the, the, the guy from Arsenal, was it Steve Morrow, who fell over? during pers- uh, post-match celebrations in uh, Wembley and, and broke his arm. Do you remember that? I do remember that. And uh, how about the 2007 Cricket World Cup where the umpires had uh, erroneously sent them back out onto the pitch and they ended up doing the trophy presentation in the pitch darkness in the West Indies? Martin, I mean, one more thing before you go. I mean, England have still got a, a pretty decent draw at the World Cup, haven't they? I mean, Argentina, Georgia, Ro- 
Romania and Scotland in the pool and, and then maybe a quarter-final against France. Are you still uh, optimistic? Yeah, again, you go into this World Cup with fingers crossed as opposed to high level of expectation. But you saw Andy Robinson's face at the end of the England-Scotland game. And he certainly feels that Scotland have got enough to, to beat England. Semi-finals, you think, you know, I'd feel quite comfortable to buy a, a semi-final ticket and, and expect to see England there. I've never met anybody who could afford a semi, semi-final ticket. That's very exciting. I, I um, Very very good. But Martin, thank you very much uh, for your help. Yeah. And really yeah, nice to speak good. to you. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk to you soon, I'm sure. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Good to speak to you. All right, let's uh, reflect now on the other end of the table. It was Italy's wooden spoon in the end, but uh, they didn't have the worst season, uh, did they, Stu? No, I remember coming on uh, on the show about halfway through this tournament and uh, talking about uh, Paris and Castro Giovanni doing a good job in the Italian pack, and you know, and they kept that going. Um, and then you know, and their back sort of um, came of age a bit as well. Bergamasco's kicking was uh, was very good. Uh, Massey turned out to be a, a pretty good fullback, especially given that it was M- McLean who'd been standing in for him who'd scored the try against. Ireland that almost gave them the victory. I mean, they were they were incredibly competitive, uh, and you know, and it's not taken them that long to do it. It makes me sit and wonder how more interesting would the uh, would the tri nations in the southern hemisphere be if they allowed uh, Fiji and uh, and Samoa to play? Well, they've got Argentina in obviously coming in, but uh, I mean, John, you know, with your experienced eye, how do you think both Scotland and Italy have gone this year, forwards or backwards? Some definite pluses. I mean, Italy uh, certainly, but we knew before the season started they were pretty competitive up front. Have they got a bit more of a cutting edge behind? Perhaps they have. I think that's still their basic problem, their real weakness. Uh, Same goes for Scotland. Uh, I mean, Scotland, I think they have made a definite improvement. They found a couple of players this season that are going to make a real difference to them. Um, In the backs, I mean, Rory Jackson, to me, you know, we, we, you can't tell after a couple Full of, of potential. games. Full I think so. Yeah, I think I, th- I think, and I do think that um, they were going down a cul-de-sac with uh, Dan Parks and he, Patterson coming back, and they need a, an edge. Uh, I like uh, the look of Ansborough too. I think he looks as if he's got something about him, Max and Evans. I think they've got a couple of decent ones around them. Yeah, Evans, Evans, I think always showed this, but I also think they've got the find of the whole championship. Richie Gray for me. It was an immense find. I mean, to get a guy that size who's that athletic, I saw somewhere that uh, apparently Jerry Guscott doesn't rate him. <laughs> well, I think Jerry must be on another planet because, uh, uh, I mean, this guy, to me, is the future of second row play. I mean, he, I, I thought he was quite wonderful. I really, d- I was just amazed at the work he got through, and yet he's massive and doing all his stuff in the tight as well. Yeah, he's quite interesting, isn't he? Because he, I think he dyed his hair that yeah. blonde at about 15 to get noticed. Well, when you're six foot eight and play like that, you don't really need it, do you? I, I mean, all of you, do, do we think that Six Nations form will be relevant to the World Cup? I mean, Ireland are in with Italy, aren't they? And, and Australia and Scotland are in with England and Argentina. How will they all go, do you think? Um, I'm not sure the, f- the form is, is that relevant, but certainly the tournament is relevant because, it, it, you know, you're, you're setting up your team or, or uh, finding players. Um Ireland have a tough task. I mean, Australia. If they if they don't beat Australia, they're they're looking at maybe a quarter final against South Africa if they get there. But the final game would be against Italy. And and judging on this on this Six Nations, that could go either way. And and Scotland, I'm not sure if they've. I mean, this was the year where the season where we were potentially saying, well, this is time. Not the potential in the Scotland team will come to fruition. But now at the end of it, we're talking about potential again. 
I think you championed them, Robert, so maybe you should... I think I said I thought they'd do better than they have done. I think I had England for the title. I think we'll have to replay that particular <laughs> show. But um, no, I prefer to, yes, remember the way they finished rather than where they started the yeah. tournament. But anyway, we're moving swiftly on, Steve. Sorry, am I going to fess up at this point that I, that I backed France, I think, at the beginning of the tournament? And yeah, look, look how that turned yeah. out. Uh, I mean, I don't think we should forget for one second that actually it's been a fantastic Six Nations in itself. Mm. That, you know, that it's been wonderfully entertaining, lots of close games. And I think... You know, looking forward to the World Cup, I, I think Evan's right that it's not about uh, it's not about form. It's about what you've learned and what you haven't learned. And you know, and that that whole discussion that Martin was saying about uh, the England centres, and you sort of come away from it thinking, well, we know that the England centre partnership isn't right. Whereas you know, well, there's been this ongoing debate about who should Ireland should play at number ten, and you know, and there was that fantastic moment early in the game when Sexton took the quick quick tap penalty got the try and you know and you thought there's no way if the other geese had been playing at number 10 that he would have done that they would have taken the three you, points and been happy about it but you know but you come but you, but you sort of think well actually do you know what they can put they can have both of them you know the the way that the, the game is going you have well, I mean, that's that's the big difference to me Steve, is that uh, what you're talking about in the england center is none of them are good enough <laughs> and what you're talking about with Ireland and Declan Kiddy said it a few times, you know, he said the great thing is I've got both of them and I can play one from the start and bring the other one on or do vice versa, depending on what we want to do with the team tactics. I mean, I'm not so sure Martin's solution for England is the right one. Mm. I think England have got a huge problem there across the, the midfield and I don't know quite how they sort it, but I do know that uh, unless they actually come up with something innovative and change their lines of attack, they are not going to make an impression against any of the Southern Hemisphere sides. There must be a worry that, I mean, a lot of this is based on (laughs) one game at the end. I mean, England were well beaten, but had they won that, had they scraped a victory, the flaws would be be just uh, glossed over, they wouldn't be looked at. I mean, maybe it's a a good thing for them. Certainly not from this side. I mean, to me, the flaws were there all season. Mm. I do think one of the problems with the the coverage of England, and I blame us, the press, in, in lots of ways, I mean, people leap on bandwagons and and go down the route. But fundamentally, as you know, someone who's been watching top-class rugby now for or playing it for forty-five years, that England midfield is rubbish. That's a bit harsh on Tyndall. Well, no, Tyndall's just about adequate. That's fine. No, he. But I mean, I, I mean that sincerely. I, I'm not trying to denigrate him, but as a as a midfield, it is not good. And uh, they, the idea that you've got to have big bangers because New Zealand do that very, very well, South Africa do it pretty well, the Australians do it totally differently. But, I mean, that England one, Hape wasn't working from the start, and yet they've stuck with him. I really cannot understand it. I think it's a major flaw, and now they've been found out. Well, until it went too wrong at the end, uh, you know, we managed to convince ourselves that you know that the, the Ashton and Cueto and Foden were playing in a different way, and that you know that your centres didn't need to get the ship the ball out to the wingers because the wingers were coming in and getting it. Yeah, but that, that's fine for the first two or three games. But the you know video analysis these days is so yeah. sharp, and and you can't you have to come up with a new trick, don't you? You you can't do that the same thing. It's 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 quite a you've got to do both exactly. And uh, I mean, they did compensate for it by doing that, and it's great to see those lines I, I think Ashton's running lines coming from rugby league are sensational and it's partly because he's come from rugby league because it's so gladiatorial that you've got to run these different lines and that's a nice little thing to add in I mean the thing that's fascinated me about the way Ireland have developed their play this season the backs we knew were pretty good the forwards have developed this trait now 
because referees are so unreliable, when you tackle, some will want you away, this, this dreadful force apart the arm signal not rolling away. It's so arbitrary. Sometimes they let people hang on and play the ball. Sometimes, sometimes people are being tackled. They're being held, but then they can get up and go again. Yeah. Or you're not allowed to hold long enough to make the tackle. So Ireland have come up with this terrific tactic of actually, let's keep them on their feet. We're not going to tackle them properly. We're going to turn it into a maul. And they had huge success uh, against uh, Wales and against England of actually ripping that ball free and, and changing that point. I think that might become quite a feature of rugby over the next year. Well, it's also been a roller coaster tournament for the French, who at least enjoyed a happy ending on Saturday. To reflect on all that, we're joined on the line by the French defence coach, Dave Ellis. A bit of a relief, Dave, I'd say, to see France bounce back from that defeat in Italy. Yes, yes, we were very disappointed um, after our performance in Italy. But we, all the players and the staff knew that that was, um, that was just a, a bad day at the office, really. And everything, you know, all the players and, and everything involved were, were very happy with our very good performance against Wales. Yeah, there, there was a, obviously a lot of fallout, wasn't there, from that Italian game? I mean, it, it, would that easily be massaged away, do you think? I mean, a couple of wins obviously helped, but it, 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 there was a lot of uh, dirty linen aired, wasn't there? Um, yes, yes, there was. And some of, it, some of it was a little bit over the top of thing. I think a lot of, a lot of things were spoken in the, um, in the emotion, you know, uh, straight after the game. I think, you know, some... Apologies were were accepted um, the following day, and then we just got on got on with the with the job in hand of, uh, of beating the Welsh. And, and is I mean you're obviously right in the centre of it. As far as you're concerned, uh, there are no problems in the camp. I mean you, you've you've seen the players. Obviously, they've won a a test match against you know decent opposition. As far as you're concerned, it's business as normal from now on. Yes, I think it's all it's just all washed to the bridge now. That yeah. If you if you go into what, whatever test match, whatever team you're playing against, if you go in uh, mentally not prepared for it, then um, you know you, you're to, it's going to be complicated, and that's what that's what it was against Italy. The the, the players got the heads right for the Wales game, and you know, it was quite clear to everybody at the stadium at the Stade de France on Saturday night that we're back to top form. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, how are things shaping up, do you think, or how will they shape up in terms of World Cup planning? I mean, presumably your players are going to need a break at some stage. The season goes on clearly a long time. Uh, it, it's, what, what have you got planned? What happens in France, because we've got the playoff system, any players that will be selected in the squad and their team is eliminated from the, uh, from the playoffs, then they'll come straight into training camp and start doing all the physical preparation required. Um, and as teams teams get eliminated from the semi-finals and so so on, playing into the final, then that'll happen um, continuously. The players will then um, have a break, uh, a couple of weeks break in June, and officially everybody will get back together then towards the end of June for. Um, for two months preparation um, in July and August. Yes, I mean, it'll be important to arrive there at a, a pitch, won't it? I mean, France are in with the All Blacks in the same pool. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be uh, going to be interesting, isn't it, from the from the off? Yeah, I think I think the good thing with the with the, with the World Cup, you know, you get you, you get the two or three months preparation for the for the event. So what physically it allows you to work, you know, very well. And um, you know, a lot of the Northern Hemisphere teams actually turn up to the World Cup, you know, a physical match for, for the uh, Southern Hemisphere counterparts. Yeah, so so all the stuff we read in the papers over here that Mark Lee, everyone, you know, might not be in charge by the World Cup, and that's, you'd say that's rubbish from your point of view, is it? 
Yeah, it's, it's all. It's just newspaper talk. That's all. Um, he's put himself under a lot of pressure by taking sort of all the criticism on his um, on his own shoulders, really. Um, but no, he's, things are going very well in the camp. The atmosphere is very good, but amongst the coaches and the players, and you know, a win a win always makes things better. Finally, David, what will be your abiding memory of the championship? I mean, Ireland obviously had a, a standout performance on the last weekend, didn't they? I don't know what, what struck you, perhaps outside the French camp. Is there anything in particular? It was a tournament that um, England got a good start when they beat Wales, but I don't think there was any outstanding team throughout the tournament, as we saw you know, the weekend just on. The three, three teams playing at home all won the games, and... Wales lost against France when they were actually challenging to win the trophy, but they actually finished in fourth place. So I think the um, I think the gap between um, you know most of the teams has been has been very small this time. Yes, yeah, so we're, we're having a debate in the studio here about you know whether this year's Six Nations lived up to expectations or not. It, it, it was very competitive. Clearly, there wasn't much, as you say, between any of the sides. Uh, do you think it was um, you know as I say a good all-round tournament? I think, I think, in, I think look at, looking back at it now, I think lots of people's minds have, have been elsewhere. I think they've, uh, they've been sort of planning already in front for the World Cup. And um, I don't think the standard was as good as, good as it has been in, in, in past years. But I think the World Cup is always, in, always there in the back of people, people's mind. I think that's had a certain amount of effect on the standard. Yeah, and, and who's your uh, tip for the World Cup six months, seven months out? Apart from France, I think I think Australia are going to be a major force, um, and I don't think the teams from the Southern Hemisphere will will be having things as easy as I think, because of the preparation that all the other teams will will have had, and I think that because we we had got introduced to the new the new regulations um, last summer, that I think the uh, the Northern Hemisphere teams have have taken the time to adapt, but I think they're uh, I think they're going to be a major force. Um, come September, October. Nice to hear you. Enjoy the rest of the season. Back to back to reality. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. <laughs> nice to hear you, John. Which looks in better? Which team looks in better shape to you? Very hard to say. Um, I think France looks in better shape in terms of talent, but it really does depend on how much store you put by this um, rupture in within the uh, the camp. And um, it looks pretty serious, isn't it? I, 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 mean, I, I think it is. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, I, I'm fairly close still to Joe Mazo, and there are more leaks in the French camp than a, a colander. Uh, a Joe <laughs> Joe sort of stays in there tight as team manager, but. Uh, uh, he told me a few things through the season that I really think uh, sort of indicate that uh, Marc Lievremont has a real problem. I think he's tried to sort it now a little bit, uh, but half the French nation, for example, were totally anti the Chabal uh, selection all the way through. I mean, they a lot of them still look back to this uh, Toulouse number yeah. eight, Picamol, yeah. and uh, they reckon he's a great player. He's still not figuring in the squad. I think, to me, he looked like a young Lawrence Delalio Picamol. I think he's a, yeah. potentially a very good player. I mean, it, it, it's very tricky. I mean, Lee Everman, once you diss your players, for want of a better phrase, in public like you did, you call them coward, cowardly, all that sort of thing. It's very hard to come back from that. They're faith-wise, isn't it? Yeah, but the peculiar thing as well about it was that he was also hanging on to a few old stages, senior players, who apparently were causing some of this disruption within the camp. And what a lot of people within the, close to the fringes of the camp were saying was, you know, get rid of Josian, 
get rid of uh, Chabal. You've got a lot of good young players really go for it. You've got something going with the Grand Slam last season, and now you've destroyed it. And there was a peculiar thing where uh, the French have this camp in the Alps where they go to. And I can remember phoning uh, my pal Jean Cormier, who you had on for it, and he said, he said, uh, Lièvrement. Um, he's up in the Alps. And I said, oh, what, have they, have they an impromptu camp? He said, no, he's there by himself. <laughs> he's there by himself trying to work it all out. <laughs> One man on the mountaintop, I like that. Yeah, I, know, mate. It's, I mean, just in terms of, I mean, Wales, it, maybe it's just a product. If, if, if your team isn't winning consistently, then there's all sorts, there's going to be angst from whatever direction. I mean, Warren Gatland today, I see, saying that he, he doesn't think his side respond well, well to mental pressure or they only respond well when they're underdogs or when they're trying to prove somebody wrong in the media. Would you uh, recognise that? Uh, to an extent. I think, I think the problems are, are twofold, really. One, I mean, Wales have always had the same problem about lack of strength and depth. And if they can get their absolute first 15 on the field, then it can be quite useful. But you're never going to last through a World Cup tournament, for example, with that happening. And therefore the flaws are going to show. The other thing is I do think there's been a bit of a loss of focus by a few of the guys um, uh, who have had a pretty good time over the last four or five years, have had you know, a couple of grand slams that were a little bit unexpected. They've gone very well. And I do think that a, a couple of the guys have got to look inwards and really look inwards and get back the hunger or get out of it. And, uh, I mean, uh, without wishing to single them out, I mean, I think that applies to guys like Lee Byrne and certainly to Mike Phillips, guys who are perhaps focusing on careers, what am I going to do for the rest, instead of focusing full in on the World there Cup. There were signs, actually, to be fair, to both of those who they got better during the tournament. You suspect mm-hmm. somebody might have said exactly that to them at some stage during the tournament. Uh, we've got several months, clearly, before the World Cup, but uh, we'd better go around the table and ask all of you who you'd back to win the World Cup. Now, I suspect we might not have mentioned them uh, so far, but, John, if we start with you, who do you, who can you see winning the World Cup? I still think uh, New Zealand are favourites, but I don't think they're as clear favourites as they were a year ago. I love that match in Hong Kong between uh, New Zealand Fantastic, and Australia. I thought it was just an amazing rugby match. And Australia, if they can get their first-choice front row on the field, they're a bit like Wales in that sort of situation, that will make a huge difference to them, and I certainly wouldn't rule them out. Evan? Well, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's going to be any one of the six teams we've seen in the Six Nations. Um, I would probably have to go with New Zealand as well, um, even though tipping New Zealand is probably a good way to lose your money or it would, it would uh, <laughs> in a World Cup. But uh, they, do, they are, I think, the strongest team, and, and you know, the territorial advantage should, should be enough for them, I think. But... Uh, as John said between them and Australia I think Fair enough Steve Tonga (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean it's despite the fact that that New Zealand when it comes to the World Cup suddenly have that thing that you know they can't quite get over the finishing line Um, you know the only World Cup that's been played in New Zealand they did win they are probably the best team in the world at the moment so they ought to be the team that wins it Um, I mean, strangely enough, uh, I think if, if if Wales get over the uh, case of Gavin Hensonitis, I think we should <laughs> we should label it that uh, that John was talking about before. I think you know, I think they might do the best out of all of the of the Six Nations that um, that they do have that talent in the backs that 
that the other teams don't have spread quite so well. Oh. Oh, I think we might have to record this for posterity. <laughs> I, should be, I should be bringing this out. I suspect, I mean, my money, well, I, my money's staying in my pocket until I discover whether Richie McCaw and Dan Carter are fit to play in the World Cup, because I think they make a huge difference. Uh, if they don't happen to be, uh, or even if they are fit, Australia... They, they won't mind playing in New Zealand. They don't care about that. They've got the best... I, I disagree with you politely. I, Australia got the best backs in the world uh, at the moment. They're Quade Cooper, uh, Adam Ashley Cooper, a very underrated player, I, uh, Kirtley Beale. I, I just can see them causing a lot of somebody a lot of problems. It might be New Zealand. could be somebody else. Either way, the World Cup promises to be a stirring few weeks of rugby. Uh, what do we think about this year's Six Nations then in conclusion? Did it live up to expectations? I mean, you couldn't call it uncompetitive, Steve, could you? No, there were lots of uh, lots of very close games. I mean, I think uh, I think it'd be very hard for the uh, French defence coach to uh, to admit that quite possibly the standout moment of the tournament was when Italy beat France. Um, but I think that quite possibly was, uh, although you know, possibly only beaten by Ireland beating England uh, on the last day to to stop the Grand Slam. Yes, but, I suspect that Evans' highlight might be something along those lines. Well, yeah, I mean, that was a highlight, and I think it was. Uh, from any team, I think it was one of the strongest team performances that Ireland gave. But uh, it was an exciting tournament, I think. Um, f- certainly good to watch a lot of games, but overall the standard wasn't wasn't great. And there's obviously no uh, outstanding team, certainly not, and a lot of fairly mediocre play. But doesn't mean that games aren't exciting. No, I think it, I mean it's patchy. I think there were good bits, weren't they? But they were sort of splashes of colour, if you like, on the on the canvas. John, what what, what would you be your abiding memory you'll take away I think uh, again probably the Italy win over France because I thought they were still too cowed and and wouldn't uh, dare to go for it Um, but certainly England didn't deserve a grand slam Uh, they're hard to come by I can tell you and uh, any flaws and it tends to catch up with you sometime and there were certainly flaws I thought it was quite exciting I was disappointed overall by the standard Um, I really thought that uh, all the teams might, with the World Cup um, preparation being there as well, be looking to kick on again because I thought there were some very promising signs in the Autumn Internationals and I don't think anyone really did. Um, coming out of it, good to see Ireland going very well again because I still think that they're a pretty good side um, and if they can get it all together, they would be the ones who I think could be the strongest of the uh, well, we can't call them the home nations, but the, the four nations. Sure. Uh, well, there's, there's plenty of rugby to come this year, isn't there? And I, I guess we could talk for hours. But like England, we're about to hit the buffers. Uh, thanks to all our experts, Martin Corey, Dave Ellis, John Taylor, Steve Busfield, Evan Fanning. And thank you for listening. Uh, maybe they'll let us do all this again sometime. I'm Robert Kitson. My producer is Tim Maybe. Goodbye for now. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio. Visit our special website to win tickets for you and your mates, plus watch player videos and join in live web chats at guardian.co.uk slash guinness-rugby-2011. Get your mates together for a Guinness this RBS Six Nations.